The story that you're about to hear from God's word really happened. And it's a pretty remarkable story. A woman is simply moving towards a well to get water like she does all the time. But on this particular day, ordained from before time, she's going to meet a man, and the man's name is Jesus. She is not going to know that Jesus is God. She's not going to see anything initially that makes her think this is God. This is the Messiah, the one we've been told about. But through a conversation that takes place, her life is going to change forever. And the sovereign God has put this together, this collision that's going to take place. Now, here's what's amazing. For all who are in Christ Jesus, that same sort of collision has taken place or will take place. A moment in your life and in my life where he made it known that he was coming for his people. For some of you, maybe most of you, this is a very familiar story. Do not let the familiarity of it keep you from seeing the depth of what took place. What is it we have in common with this woman that required the grace of the passage? It's very powerful. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Caroline and Stephen Denton are going to come and read this incredible story to us. John 4, verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our father is worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. 
Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you both. I'm grateful. These gospel narratives are so important for us to soak in and to imagine the scene. So think for a moment about being in that that village, that area, and there goes the woman as she ordinarily would. She has a jar of water. She's heading to the place where she always goes to get water. So picture that scene. Probably no one's paying attention. They might have thought things about her because of her history, what's happened to her. We don't know all the details to that, by the way, but it's probably unnoticed. She's simply going. It's the sixth hour to get water. She does it all the time, but they're going to notice her when she returns. When she returns, she's coming back without a jar of water. The jar of water that she took to fill with physical water is left with the man who told her he could give her living water. What happened to her in that conversation was so overwhelming, so transformational that she goes back to the town and she begins to speak to those present. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And then listen to what happened. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And then they said, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus was tired. The passage beginning in Mark or John 4 says, weary from his journey, he moves towards this well. Why was he weary? Well, because he's a man and he's God. He had come to fulfill what the father had sent him to do. And that was to live the perfect life, die the perfect death, be raised from the dead, ascend eventually to heaven, reign as our king, and we wait for his promised return. In this moment, Jesus is walking with the 12. The word tells us he's tired, so he begins to move towards this well. The disciples go on looking for food. Jesus is tired, and he comes to this well. But don't miss what's happening. Behind the scenes, our Savior knows that he's going to collide with a woman who has a pretty dark and broken past. And he there, as he meets her, is going to share with her the words of eternal life, which are going to reveal who he is and that she needs him. And so good is that news that she's going to leave, go back to her town and tell others who ordinarily would not listen to her because of her reputation. And now they're coming and they too come to faith. This is an amazing story. What it reveals to us and there's a lot, 
comes to us through the very words of Jesus in this conversation. I want to begin by asking you to consider right now what you would say to someone in an hour or two or three, maybe in front of your house, maybe on a walk. If someone asked you what you did today and you said, well, I went to church, went to our 11 o'clock service. And they said, well, why did you go to church? I want you to think about what you might say. And I'm, I'm very confident that what you would say wouldn't be wrong. It would probably sound something like this. Oh, we, we go to church on Sundays because we worship Jesus Christ. It's our joy and delight to worship Jesus Christ. And that is true. That is why you are here. You might be here because you're about to have a collision with God and he's on the way to bringing you to saving faith. And we hope and pray that that's true. For most, you're here because you come to worship him. But that's not the whole story. That doesn't begin to get at the depth of why you're really here. The reason you are really here, the reason you woke up today and breathed air that you didn't create, that you got in a car and drove, endured a challenge perhaps even with children or a spouse or a friend, the reason you're here is because of what Jesus says in this text, that the Father is seeking worshipers. That's why you're here. You can say whatever you want about why you think you've come, and it's probably true, but there's something more, something behind the scenes that you might not think about enough, that the sovereign God is seeking worshipers, those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. We're going to dig into that a little bit. Imagine the woman. She's simply on her way to get water. And there she sees a man. You understand a bit of the context that they wouldn't normally talk to one another. But Jesus speaks. He asks for a drink. She says to him in verse 9, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Then Jesus says... If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Don't miss the strangeness of that response. That wouldn't have been predicted. She wouldn't have known how really to respond to that. It's not something she could have ever imagined being said. So imagine you're walking simply with a jar, simply to get water, something you simply do all the time, and then this man that you've never seen before says, give me a drink. Why do you talk to me? Why are you asking me? Then Jesus, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The dialogue is amazing. She's talking to Jesus, the one who has saved us. She's talking to the living God who's tired and weary. But this conversation is rich. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Now, verse 13, Jesus says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, can you imagine hearing that? 
Who is this man? Who talks like that? Her response, sir, give me this water. I don't want you to miss this. Everyone who comes to Christ, whenever that collision happened in your life, whether you were 5, 25, 55, or if it's even today, no matter your age, what you're saying to the living God is, give me that drink. Give me what you promise. She doesn't understand who he is. She does not understand at all that he's speaking about something that's far greater than just getting water from this well. But she knows that anyone who's offering something that would satisfy thirst forever, well, that's worth having. And so she says, sir, give me this water. In her mind, I think it's some kind of magical fountain. Literally, meaning maybe perhaps I don't have to keep coming back. But we know Jesus is talking about so much more. But then the conversation radically changes. As strange and as odd as it has been already, after she says, sir, give me this water, Jesus says, go, call your husband and come here. I have no idea what the time was between Jesus saying that and her response. I have no idea what was going on in her mind until she speaks. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus responds, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And we do not know because they don't give us the details of why she had five husbands. So don't judge her prematurely. We don't really know. But we do know that Jesus did say, and the one you now have is not your husband. So this woman is in a really dark place and no doubt has had a very broken life. But in this moment, this man that she saw at this well from a distance who had nothing to draw water with, who when he spoke to her and she spoke back, said these strange things, he now is revealing that he knows things about her and she has no idea how. Well, he knows because he truly is the prophet. She will say so, but she doesn't know that he's the prophet. She doesn't know that he's more than just the prophet. He's the priest. He's more than just the prophet and the priest. He's also the king, the king of kings and Lord of lords. And so as they have this discourse, Jesus is revealing something, not just to her, but to us. Friend, there's nothing in your life hidden from Christ. At any moment, Jesus could reveal to you that secrets that you have sought to keep hidden, sights that you hope no one ever knows you've looked at, words that you have thought and maybe even spoken that were not kind, but were full of gossip and slander, assumptions you have made that think real poorly of others, ways in which you have sinned. There's not one part of you that he doesn't know perfectly. 
And at any moment, he could simply penetrate into our hearts and minds and reveal, this is who you really are. It's not to be lost on us that this woman was not seen as righteous and upstanding and clean and a model. She's the opposite. Jesus reveals to her that he knows all about the six men in her life, past and current. So she does what most of us would do. We dodge and seek to redirect, but that's not what Jesus is about. She tries to impress with her knowledge about worship because she perceives that he's a prophet. He really won't entertain that. And then he reveals this. Verse 23, look with me. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So why are you here today? Why are you part of this church Say whatever comes to your mind, but know that underneath it all, it's because the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Not just once when you come to Saving Faith. Every time you enter this place, every day you wake up and experience new mercies, it's because the Father is seeking worshipers to worship him in spirit and truth. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, is a worship-seeking, worship-receiving God. He and the Son and the Spirit are the only ones worthy of our worship and praise. And he seeks it, the Word says so, and he receives it. And why does this matter? Because worship is the most important thing that God has made us for. If you read Ephesians 1 and other parts of Ephesians, you see that as Paul declares the, the wonderful working of God in making us his own and saving us, those sections end with to the praise of his glory. God the Father is a God that's seeking worshipers. And in order to seek worshipers, he sent his son. Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost, not just so they could be saved and experience eternity in paradise forever, but so that they could be those who worship God in spirit and truth. So your story, whenever you had that collision, Whenever God moved towards you in the powerful work of his spirit and revealed to you the truth of who he is, that he really is the living water, that he really is the living word, he is the bread of life, he's the way, the truth, and the life. Whenever he revealed that to you, it's because he was seeking you to be a worshiper in spirit and truth. Worship is not like anything else that we do. That's why when you enter into the sanctuary, there is a desire that we have where you feel and see immediately, this isn't my normal day. This isn't the ordinary things that we're doing. 
We want you to feel a tension that sets this apart from what you did on Saturday morning and what you'll do tomorrow morning. That involves worship too. Our worship is to be all of our life. But there is something so significant about the people of God coming together to worship the living God. Two parts of that that are always important for us to hold together, and they can be intention. The first is this, that we are worshiping a God who is transcendent. When Jesus meets this woman at that well, it's because the Father and the Spirit are at work. As Jesus meets this woman, he sees things about her because he truly is God. He is a prophet. There's nothing he could learn about her. This God is transcendent. The one that she is going to go tell her neighbors about is a God that is far greater than they can even imagine. Transcendent means that he's independent from and superior to his creation. He is not us. He is the sovereign king, infinitely majestic. He is deserving of honor, awe, respect, and our fear. Friends, God describes himself as a consuming fire. When people move towards and approach him, they bow down, they drop. Read the word of God and what it says about appropriate fear and reverence and awe, and it's something that we have lost. And we can't lose it. But he's not just transcendent, other than, beyond what we can imagine, he's imminent. And imminent means near. How near is he? This transcendent God wanted us to understand who he is so much that he sent his son to dwell with us in full flesh. Jesus was fully man. He fully got tired on long walks. He fully was thirsty and would be satisfied by water. But more than that, this imminent God didn't come just to dwell with us. He now in his spirit dwells in us. Do you realize that? Do you realize that right now as you are with true worshipers, which by the way, is just another word for Christian. When you're with true worshipers, you're worshiping with people sitting in front of you, next to you, behind you, who are filled with God. He dwells in us. So when we're worshiping this transcendent, majestic, holy, perfect, righteous, consuming fire, we're safe as his imminent, his presence is in us. The temptation is for us to treat worship casually, just like it's anything else we would do on any given day, but it's not. We enter into this place seeking for all who come to, to feel those tensions, that this music, these songs rise up in us, this vision for a God that is far greater, but other pieces that then draw near 
and remind us of how intimate he is with us. But here's the problem. This side of heaven, our worship is never going to be perfect. Because Christ covers us, because he is the one and his righteousness covers us, our worship can be pleasing to God. One day in heaven, there will never be a false motive. There will never be a critical spirit. There will never be a battle on the way to church. There will never be an impure thought. There will never be getting out of balance between transcendence and eminence. It will be perfect. But this side of heaven, it's a war. And the war is centered on worship. We're at the center of that so often is me, my preferences, my perspective, my personality, my mood, my desires, not to mention all the other things every day that you and I are tempted to worship, like man and man's praise and fitting in and being financially really well off and making so many things idols. That's a different kind of worship that ultimately ends in death. But the father has sent his son that we might truly be worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. In order for us as his people to continue to worship him in the way that he demands and in the way that it says he sought us or the, for the reason he sought us to worship him in spirit and truth, we must continue to come to the well. We must continue to come to the Savior, to the one who says, here's the living water, and we must continue to drink, to continue to avail ourselves of the means of the very one who says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus said you wouldn't be thirst anymore. He's talking about something entirely different. He's talking about a thirst that generates a thirst, that generates a thirst that can only be satisfied in him and is. And when we have moments where we have misplaced the center of our worship, and it's my preference, my favorite songs, my favorite style, my favorite preacher, my favorite, all of a sudden worship has lost its focus. How do we get it back? By returning to him and saying, Jesus, you were sent to save me because the Father is a worship-seeking God who is a worship-receiving God. And if you had not come, I could never worship you. But because I'm in Christ, because I'm in Christ alone, because I said at some point in my life during that collision, give me that drink. And you did. I'm safe in the presence of this transcendent and imminent God and can worship him forever with the woman from Samaria 
and the people that came out to see who said, we believe not just on your testimony, but because of what he has said. Friends, if you've never trusted Jesus, today might very well be the day of that collision. If you've trusted Jesus before and you know that you're in him, but your worship is not centered on him, but on so many other things, just return to him. He already knows everything about you. There's nothing he can learn. And he was sent to seek and to save and to sanctify by the power of his spirit those who are going to be true worshipers. Father in heaven, you have the power to resurrect any lost soul at any moment. And God, we pray that you would today. We also pray today that you would restore unto us all who are in Christ already, the joy of our salvation. And Lord, as we close in lifting our voices together in song, singing two beautiful pieces that lift high our living God, we pray that these words wouldn't simply be words that we're repeating because they're on a page, but that you would move deep into our hearts and minds even now, revealing to us once again who we already are in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.